Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to finish this prayer tonight. But I want to go back and touch something. We've been, t- we've been studying about the powerful prayers of Paul that changed people, changed cities, and changed nations. How many know the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much? And that's talking about your prayer. Amen? And I want you to see something. Ephesians chapter 1, I shared this with you last week. And I believe it's a key we need to go back over. It says in verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And I shared with you last week, that it's amazing that many times we'll pray for somebody until we see that prayer answered, and then we'll quit praying. But Paul, when he saw the prayer answered, he continued to pray even more so. And I want to show you some things, and just remember that verse. As we look at a few more, I went and I started digging about some more. Look with me in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Because I would dare say that many of us have someone or some others that we are praying for and believing God for. And just because you, that person gets healed, don't mean you quit claiming divine health reigning in their body. Just because that person gets a job, don't mean you quit praying that that job is going to go well with that person. You continue to press in. You continue to cover and you continue to bless them. And I want you to see in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, and I know you know this scripture, but it says, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault... Criticize him. Is that what your Bible says? You know, I I just cannot stand the lack of compassion. How I've known people and the ones I've known have left here and I'm glad they did. But you go talk to somebody and you say, you know, I've really got a burden for brother and sister so-and-so. They're up in age and they just don't, they don't have the finances. Well, they should have prepared. They should prepare retirement. And I want to say, I doubt your salvation. These people are hurting. And they're wondering what to do. And, and, and you don't jump on somebody and criticize their hurts, their weaknesses. The Bible says if you are spiritual, you're going to restore them. You're going to pray for them. You're going to minister to them. Isn't that what it says, church? It says, if a person be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, least thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another burdens. So you fulfill the law of who? Hey, that's telling me right now. Jesus wants us, wants us to be interested in the needs of each other. Amen, church. And it says, if you see a person overtaken in a fault, now, that word fault speaks of a sin. But this is what it means in the Greek. If you see a person who have missed the mark. This is what it means in the Greek. If you see a person who has missed the mark. And it also means if you know a person or see a person who is missing the right thing. Who are missing what is right. Who is missing what is right. It says you, you restore them. You, you minister to him. You don't criticize at him. You don't laugh at him. You help him and you love him. Now, it says here, 
you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of, spirit of meekness. I want you to write this down, what it means in the Greek. This is awesome. If you see someone who has missed the mark, if you see someone who has not gotten it right, that word in the Greek there means to purposely step over into their need and stand in the gap. To purposely. Write that down. So you shall fulfill the law of Christ. There's something here I want you to see. Jesus was with His disciples. And they said, we need go through Samaria. We don't go through Samaria, but we need to purposely go to Samaria. But why? There's a woman who has had five husbands. She's at the well by herself because nobody, everybody criticizes her. Everybody hates her. Nobody loves her. But I want to establish my law in the eyes of my people. It is purposeful that we step on over into her life and rescue her. Another time he was with his disciples. We must cross over to the other side. Let's get in the boat. Why? Because there's a demon possessed man that chains cannot even hold him down. There's a demon-possessed man who's cutting himself in, and running around in the tombs and he cannot stay in life and he wants to die. And it is purposeful that we go over. I don't care if we have to rent the boat. I don't care what the storm that comes in the middle of us from getting over from here to there. I don't know how. I don't care how much time it costs. I don't care how wearisome it is. I don't care if you get seasick. I don't care if you don't want to go. There is a purpose for us going over to the other side because there is a man that is suffering with over 5,000 demonic spirits and it is purposeful that we go over to the other side and if nothing else is done but that one man getting free and safe it is worth it all. Oh, hallelujah. And Paul is making that emphasis. I hear you doing good but I can't stop there. And let me show you. Let me show you the heart of Paul. Look with me in uh, first, let's, let's, let's look at Colossians first. Colossians 1. Colossians 1. To purposeful step over. Doesn't mean you get in their business. And listen, church, doesn't mean you have to go and give them counsel. Well, you know, that person, you know, that person just will not leave drugs alone. I'm going to go tell them what drugs are going to do. You know, you step over and, and, and you, you, you pray. Before you go try to counsel that purpose, you purposely step over and love them. You see somebody hurting in church, you purposely go to that person and love on them. You know somebody who's hurting, you purposely speak well of them and don't criticize or pull them down. Amen, church. This is fulfilling the law of Jesus Christ. And after all, who do we want to follow? Amen, church. Now look at this. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. As ye have also learned of Epirus, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Here comes the person saying, Paul, you will not, you cannot know the depth of the love of those people. So what does he do? For this cause. Not because we heard you don't have love, but because we heard everything's going well. Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you 
and to desire that you might be filled. Look, this is the same prayer of Ephesians 1. That you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful into every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering and joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through the blood, even the forgiveness of His sins. Now here's Paul. He's sitting there and somebody comes up to him and says, Boy, I'll tell you, that church is operating in the spirit of love. And all of a sudden, the spirit of God comes upon him and he starts praying for their revelation and them to be strengthened and the will of God to be made known. And the spirit of God just stirs up on the inside of him. And he heard good news, but he says, but it's going to get better. Look at this with me. First Thessalonians chapter four. I'm showing you Paul's heart here. He hears about someone doing good. He starts praying. Oh, hallelujah, they're doing good. But it's about to get better. It's going to get better. And let me prove it to you here in First Thessalonians 4. First Thessalonians 4, verse 9. First Thessalonians 4, verse 9. But it's touching brotherly love. Ye need not that I write unto you. Here's another church. Man, they're walking the love walk. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase, excel in this matter more and more. How many of you know? You Listen, I'm wanting you to get in the heart of Paul so we can have that emphasis in the area of prayer. Paul was never satisfied when they said, Paul, you've written so many letters. You've accomplished so much. You're so Christ-like. He says, I am still apprehended, apprehending and reaching forward for that, those things which I was apprehended for. I'll never arrive. But all I know is I'm going to run this race and I'm going to try to increase more and more and more in every area that I can. And while I'm preaching and reaching for it, I'm praying you're reaching for it too in Jesus' name. Stepping over and meeting a need. Our, our dear sister over here has a burden. She wants to start a ministry in making bread and finding out elderly and other people who are stuck in their homes and they can't get out. So she called and asked permission. We said, oh, let's go for it. She says, well, I need some help and I need some scriptures. I talked to this sister the other day. This sister, I want you to talk to her. She's already got scriptures cut out. Did you know why? Just plain paper or something. Just started cutting out scriptures. Just cut over. So you got all kind of, she's already got scriptures cut out to go in the bags of bread you want to make and get with people who's going to deliver it. Well, hallelujah! That's big! Come on, get excited! Get excited about it! This is big! This is big! It's going to get bigger! And you're going to increase more and more! Amen! Paul says, Paul, they're doing so good. Oh, but they're going to do better. Why? Because I'm going to keep praying for them to do better. They got a measure of love. That measure of love is going to grow. They have a measure of faith. 
their measure of faith is going to grow. They have a measure of courage, their measure of courage is going to grow. They have a measure of confidence, that measure of confidence ever grow. Everything that has to do with their life is going to increase and abound to, to the fruition of all that God created it to be. Amen. Do you hear the heart of Paul here? It's not just enough to hear you doing good. You're going to be doing better than good. You're going to keep getting better and better. Pastor, I finally, I finally broke something in my life. Well, hallelujah. You're going to even break it even more, and you're going to break the other things that's been holding you back in that area too in Jesus' name. Pastor, you don't have to pray anymore. I'm doing good there. Oh, no, I need to pray more that you stay doing good there. Pastor, you don't have to worry about praying for me anymore. You need to pray for somebody else who needs it. Oh, yeah? I think you need it more than anybody else right now. (laughs) Amen. And so these are things that wake up call to watch. Because how many people you've heard of? (gasps) You know what? My son got saved. A week later, he's back in the world. You don't have to pray for my son no more. He got saved. Oh, no. Let's pray even more. That he stays saved. Amen, church. So there's some things here I wanted you to see before we, get, we continue where we left off last week. It goes on to say, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Because the enemy, when it starts looking good, it's easy to say, well, we'll just relax. Everything's doing good now. No, that's when the enemy tries to hit us even harder. And Paul heard the Ephesus was doing so good and there's some, so many signs and wonders and he started praying. Uh, and in verse 17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His right hand uh, in heavenly places. And we'll just stop right there right quick. The eyes of our understanding be enlightened. And I was meditating over that. And I won't stay on that very, very long right now, but I was meditating on that. And I shared with the people at prayer last night that I was meditating on that. The Spirit reminded me of the Scripture that says, that the eyes are the windows of the soul. And we always talk, and I even used to sing that song in the Baptist church, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And we used to talk about uh, looking into His marvelous face. And we hear much about looking to the face of God. But then it just started come to me. He says, the, if the eyes are the windows of the soul, and when you look into a person's eyes, and, and, and many times you, you can sense, you can see what's there, the, the attitudes, the love, the actions. But can you imagine that in the intimacy that God is calling us to be with Him, if we could look into the eyes of God and see into the soul of God and see what God is expecting and wanting and designed for each and every one of us, can you imagine that the closer we get to God and the more we look into the eyes of God, the more we see the heart of God and the expectancy of what God has for each and every one of us and for where the people we work with and the people we're, we're praying for, the more I look into the eyes of God, the more I catch the heart of God, the more the passion grows, the more the compassion grows, the more the love grows, and the more I start understanding, even though this world, the hope of His calling, they may be six billion people in this world, but the hope of His calling is that I may come to recognize what God has hand 
tailored, made for me to do. Out of six billion people, nobody else can do what I can do. That's why you want to talk about job security? My job is secure in pastoring Word of Grace in Pineville, Louisiana, because God hand-tailored me for this pulpit and this church for such a time as this. But just like He made me for here, and nobody else can take my place unless God moves me on. But until God moves me on, this is where I belong. It's the same way with each and every one of you. Out of six billion people, He hand-tailored a ministry, a, a, a talents and abilities, and an anointing that is hand-tailored for you. To know the hope of your calling. You're special and you've got a special assignment. And so many people, well, how do I, how do I know what my calling is? That's what we're going to talk about. The hope of his calling. Let's look at this. You see here, I gave you the definition the word hope means. Desire accompanied by expectation, desire accompanied by expectation of belief in fulfillment. A favorable and confident expectation. Now, I love the Apostle Paul. And one thing about the Apostle Paul, they, said they stoned him. They left him for dead. He got back up. What, 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 what you going to do? I'm going back and preaching that city. Why, why did they kill you again? I'll rise again. Why? I haven't made it to Rome yet. Well, what's in Rome? God said, I cannot die until I get to Rome and I finish what I'm called to do. He got on that boat. Not only did God send an angel and tell him that you and all who sail with you in this boat are not going to die. And he says, I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Paul says, I was hand-picked. And I was tailor-made to have a ministry to the Gentiles. And the Lord said that I was called to the Gentiles. And God said that I was going to preach in different places, but I was going to end up preaching in Rome. So it doesn't matter how many times I get shipwrecked. It doesn't matter how many times I get beaten. It doesn't matter how many times I get jailed. It doesn't matter how many times I go through whatever I go through. I know that I'm not, it's not over till I get before the kings there in Rome and preach about Jesus Christ and tell those people about the God they don't know. So no matter what happens, he, devil can't kill me. Hell can't kill me. Crashes can't kill me. Nothing can kill me until I finish my course. Why? Confident expectation. I am made for this and I'm going to do it. And you may be sitting there and you say, you know, God gave me a word years ago and I just don't see how it's going to come to pass. Well, listen, you got to get close enough to God and look in His eyes. And when you look in His eyes, all of a sudden you start seeing you. And you start seeing that God is the author of a book about you. And you are the actor. You are the play. The play is about you. The story is about you. And it's a true story that we're from the foundation of the world, which is even written in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 there, that we were reading. Before the foundation of the world, in verse 4 it says, Before the foundation of the world, you were chosen to be in Christ Jesus for a chosen and a specific thing. You were chosen to have the children that you have. And 
you may say they might have came in not in the right way, or they may have come might have come in the wrong timing, or you may say this might have happened or that might have happened, but God knows all about it. He prepared beforehand for all of it. And no matter what seems to be dragging you down, pulling you back, it's going to be the thing that God's going to build in you to be able to build you back up, send you forward and say, I have a call in my life. I have meaning in my life. And no matter how many times I have missed the mark, the Holy Spirit has made His it purposely stepped into my life to purposely put me back and restore me back into the right position of where I'm going and what I'm going to do. Amen. I expect to catch His heart. That's how I know His calling. So many times someone come up to me and go, Pastor, I, I think I want to work with the youth. I said, okay, I want to meet with you. So we'll go out to eat or something. And I'll spend two hours sitting with them. And they'll talk about everything but the youth. And after two hours, I'll say, okay, about the youth. You can't do it. What? I told you I wanted to work with the youth. I've been sitting here two hours. And you haven't spoken about the youth one time. That tells me you have not caught the heart of God because I know my calling where my passion is. And where, what my passion's about, I'm going to talk about. And if I'm not talking about it, then I'm not passionate about it. And if I'm not passionate about it, then I'm not walking in the calling of God. Well, you know, I've got to go usher tonight. But I've got to go tell all them people how to get there, how to do this. But you're not very compassionate, are you, about it? You're not very passionate about it, are you? Well, here's Sister Evie. Now, she's not like this, but, you know, I, I joined that Sunday school because I felt sorry for Shane, and somebody's got to know what they're doing in there. <laughs> so I'm going to try this Sunday school stuff. Oh, that's all I need is a headache of a bunch of bratty kids. But somebody's got to do it. So, Lord, here I am. Uh-uh. She shows up here in the middle of the day with pictures she's painting and things she has studied. And she is working constantly on teaching those little bitty angels. <laughs> so you ask me, what is Sister Evie's call? It's children. How do you know? That's all I ever hear. That's what I see. I see the fruit of it. Well, you know, I don't think I'm passionate about anything. Well, how much time have you been spending with the one who's called you? The only way to know what your call is is to know what he's called you to do. And to know what he's called you to do is a matter of just spending time with the one who's called you. Hand-tailored you. Picked you out of six billion people and say, this is what I've called you to do. Well, I want somebody to tell me what to do. Then you'll only do it for a while and you'll be frustrated. You see, the high calling is your vision. Lord, I want a vision. Okay, there's your calling. Your calling is your vision. What is God telling you to do? What is God calling you to do? What comes to your mind many times during the day? What books attract you more than other books when you're reading? What stories perk you up and stir you up more than other things? That's what God is trying to show you, the specifically things that He's calling you to do. Amen? Amen. The God of all hope fills me with the faith to walk this faith walk. Martin Luther said, Faith 
is a living and unshakable confidence of belief in the grace of God so assured that a man would die a thousand deaths for its sake. Paul said, I'll die, but I'll come back again because I've got to finish what I've got to do. There's a drive. There's a passion. If it's nothing but being an intercessor, and, and nobody may know it. Nobody may know the hours you spend and the, the time you spend at night praying and all that. But yet there is a joy that when you know you're on your knees and you're calling out and sometimes you're crying and sometimes you're laughing and sometimes you're hollering and sometimes you're hurting so bad on the inside you don't know what to do. And you're just interceding before God and you're praying on behalf of that person. And sometimes it's such a pain. And, so, and you say, Lord, I want this burden to be lifted. But at the same time, there's such a desire to see God's will accomplished and because you are causing the kingdom of God to be established on this earth, you are willing to do it and continue to do it time and time again. No matter what it costs me personally, it's worth it all. It's worth it all. Amen. Eleanor Roosevelt said, You gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you stop to look fear in the face. You must do that which you think you cannot do. You must do what you think you cannot do. It was easy for Cindy and I to think, oh, we'll never make it to the mission field. We'll never accomplish anything for God. You'll never, people telling you, you'll never make it. How many of you know it's to, it's to look whatever's telling you can in the face and say, just stand by, buddy, because I'm going to do it. You get in my way, I'm going to run over you. You can't reach those people. Just sit back and watch me. When I was in the jungles, we'd rent this canoe that these guys would take us, take an hour and a half to get to this little little village where nobody, just a few people were, and they wanted a church there. So we'd go out there and take an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes by canoe, these little bitty motors to go down these rivers and go through the uh, Caribbean, then go down this big river and get to these huts. Lord, this ain't good enough. I'm an American. I want my own boat. It takes an hour and a half in this canoe. I want a boat that'll make it in 20 minutes. But I'm going to keep on coming to these people. So we came back, and we didn't know how we were going to get the money. And I went shared at this pastor's meeting, and they were part of the Bible. Those people are in Bible school now, coming from New Iberia. But I was shared at a pastor's breakfast in New Iberia, and I was believing God for a boat. I, we had a Bible school. I wanted to bring my students with me. So I was believing God for a big boat that carried a lot of people and a good-sized motor. And I was praying that because I wanted to go reach those people and go farther up the river. And my heart was about reaching those river people and going up in the mountains and, and all the things we needed. And I shared that pastor's breakfast, and the pastors in their suits were leaving. And here was this guy with broken pair of glasses with some tape around the rim. And he, got, he had me cornered, and he wouldn't let me go. And I kept seeing the pastors leaving, and I'm thinking, here I am talking to this guy. He had a broken nose and broken glasses, and he didn't have a suit on, and all the suits were walking out, and I'm there 20 years old, and I'm thinking, well, there goes all the people with the money. And this guy ain't got no money because he's got broken glasses and this and that and the other. He ain't wearing no suit. And he just looks normal. And I'm thinking, i got to get away from him. And he keeps asking me questions and questions. And finally, everybody's gone. I didn't get a chance to shake hands with one pastor give my card to one person. I stayed with this fellow. So I left there. I think, well, that, that, that didn't go nowhere. Get a phone call. You still looking for a boat? Is that guy with the broken glasses. Yeah. 
Well, come and pick out the boat you want. I'm buying it for you. Got over there. And I picked out a little bitty old flat boat. He said, uh-uh. He took me to the big V-bottom Monarch boats. Fourteen passenger, unsinkable Monarch boats. He says, pick out the boat you want over here. You don't want those little things. So, boy, we picked this big boat. Got these things on top of my van to put the boat on. 61 Ford van, painted red with a brush. <laughs> the windows was dyed with blue dye from a bottle. When you rode down the window, it scratched the blue stuff off and we had streaks all down the way. Oh, God, I tell you, it was a mess. I had my boat. The boat was nicer than the van. But I had my boat on top. Then he says, okay, let's go to the Johnson place. I want you to pick out the workhorse Johnson motor. Big old 25 workhorse. Same motor Jacques Cousteau used. Bought me that boat motor, paid cash. Bought me a box of spark plugs. Bought me everything I needed to rebuild the motor if I ever had to. Two gas tanks, life preservers. I mean, just on and on and on. And so I got the boat, the motor, I got everything. I'm going home, get home. My brother tells me. Somebody called and come to find out that this fellow with the broken glasses who just bought me everything I desired, his mama called and had got some money and wanted to donate $1,000, which covered all the taxes once we got back to our place in Central America. All of this came by the fellow with the broken glasses, didn't have a suit on, and he's standing in the corner, and God says, I'll teach you. I'll teach you to judge by outward appearance. Just share your heart. Share your heart with God. Where are you right now? Lord, I, I don't think I could ever speak to nobody. I don't think I could ever witness, but I have this desire to tell people my testimony. Then tell God about your passion and let him develop it and let him. Last night, there's Brother Vincent working in the gifts of the Holy Ghost, speaking in the Spirit. Came here discouraged and ended up prophesying. <laughs> tell God what you desire. Because he already knows because he put it there. Let him hear your passion. Let them hear your desire about seeing hurting women get healed and get up and go on with their life. Amen. I'm supposed to be finishing this tonight. Listen to what Phillips Brooks said. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray for stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but for powers equal to your task. Robert Jarvik wrote, leaders are visionaries with a poorly developed sense of fear. <laughs> I haven't. Aren't you scared? Didn't develop that. Aren't you worried? Didn't develop that. And no conception, no concept of the odds against them. They make the impossible happen. Amen? So you say, how can God use me? Well, let's look. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and the riches of the glory and the inheritance of the saints and what is the exceeding greatness. Say exceeding greatness. Another translation says the surpassing greatness. What does that mean? It surpasses all your weaknesses. His exceeding greatness of your calling, the calling He put upon you. You want an ex- you know this Word of God? It's full of examples of people who could not get the job done on their own. 
until the exceeding greatness of God came upon them to where they could not glory in themselves. They could only glory in God. For example, it was the exceeding greatness of God's power that took Joseph out of the prison and made him second only to Pharaoh. It was the exceeding greatness of God who took a man in his 90s who could never have a kid and told him, I want you to look at the stars. And then another time, I want you to look at the sand. And so shall your seed be. And you're going to have a child. And the surpassing greatness of God came upon an elderly man and made him fertile. And he ended up having a child. And his wife, who was barren, she ended up having a child. Why? What they could not do in the natural. The surpassing greatness of God came upon them and caused them to be able to do it. I could tell you about David who God took from the sheepfold. We could tell you about Daniel. They while Nebuchadnezzar was singing how great I am, Daniel was prophesying and praying saying how great God is. Peter and Paul, the whole Word of God is full of no one who was born arrived It was the surpassing greatness of God's power that came upon the weakness and the frailty of man and brought him to the position to be used by God. Hallelujah! Well, I have a black belt from seminary. I have a degree. I have a this and that. Oh, that's not what makes you what you are. It's the Spirit of God. It's the surpassing greatness of God's power that comes Inside of you. Amen. So let me hurry with this. Number one, you've got to Paul's praying that you realize how loving and great your heavenly father is. That you know and understand how loving and great your heavenly father is. Stop focusing on the small things. You'll miss the great things. Number two, to receive and keep the hope. Of the vision, the great thing God has called you to do. Number three, to see and know and understand the power that is backing you up. The power that is backing you up. The exceeding greatness of His power. Amen. Number four, to know the spirit of wisdom. Number five, to know the spirit of revelation, the anointing, the Holy Spirit Himself as a revelator. Number six, to know the riches of the glory of His inheritance that's in you, His saints. To know the riches of His glory, the inheritance that is in you, His saints. Church, when Adam fell, God didn't lose his power. God lost his connection. God lost his channel for that power to flow through. But when Jesus rose again, you became, you are tonight, every one of you are the channel that Adam was. You are in Christ Jesus for his power, his revelation, his wisdom to flow in once again. Hallelujah. Amen. In verse 20, he talks about uh, the power the energy that was put forth in operation to erase Christ from the dead. You see that word wrought? Which he wrought in Christ Jesus. That word wrought means to be operative at work, to put forth in power, to activate, to prove oneself strong, to be a voice of meaning 
the word rise again. He's, he spoke to you to rise again. And He spoke that word within you. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the manifestation of His Spirit is given to each and every one. And verse 21 talks about being far above all principality and powers and, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is the name above all names? Amen? Verse 22 talks about Him being over all things. That means all of hell trembles and all of heaven rejoices when you use the name of Jesus. Verse 23, talking about you and I, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all and all. That word body means union. The word body means the unity of a living relationship with Christ. Body, a living relationship with Christ. Subject to Him and having His power to operate Him. And listen, you know what? How many of you know, we, we always say, if we don't have God, we can't do it. Without God, we're inoperative. We cannot operate. But it works the other way. Without you, God cannot operate. We cannot do anything without God, but God cannot do what He wants to do without you. What is good is the head without the body and the body without the head. He needs you like you need Him. But what good am I? The exceeding greatness of His power, the same energy that was used to raise Christ from the dead. It's the same energy inside of you to make you useful as Christ as a resurrected being in Him. Newness of life. Amen? That word there, head, speaks of a vital connection. You don't believe it's a vital connection? Cut yours off tonight. <laughs> no, don't. No, don't, don't, no, don't. No, take that off the tape. I did not say that. I'm joking. Everybody say he's joking. <laughs> but, you know, if you would, go, go ring a chicken's neck and tell me. Tell me. If, if the head's not vital with the body. Okay? But you understand what I mean? The one cannot function without the other. But I'm so little. God says, no, you're so great in me. Amen? Fullness. That word fullness means, I love this. Get ready for this. The fullness in His body. The Greek word speaks of a ship that is filled with soldiers. And everybody thinks, oh, I want to be a soldier. But that word fullness there is the word full soldiers. It's the word sailors. And it's the word rowers. And nobody wants to be a rower. Everybody wants to be a soldier. I want a sword. I want a shield. I want a helmet. Everybody wants to be a soldier. And if I can't be a soldier, then make me a sailor. But don't put me down there and make me a rower. Nobody can see me. Everybody can smell me. <laughs> I don't want to be a rower. But let me tell you, what good is a ship full of soldiers, full of sailors, and they're just sitting being tossed to and fro in the waves, and they can't get to where they need to get. If you ask me, the rowers are more important than the soldiers. 
but how can God use me? God says in the fullness of His body, I need everybody. And guess what? When the war is won, the rowers, the sailors, get just as much attention and excitement and celebrate just like the soldiers do. It's a team. It's a body. It's the church. Amen? Hallelujah. So those are some things we can be praying. He gets all the glory, but He lets us have some fun in on it. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's stand up. I went five minutes over. That's okay, huh? Did you get something out of this? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why don't you ever get intimidated when somebody goes, Oh, this is the children's church pastor, and this is the pastor, and this is the youth leader. What do you do? Oh, I, I, I make tapes. Oh, so, okay, you're just a peon. No, 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 no. Without, without the lady making the tapes, Promise and Isabel and others, the tapes wouldn't make it to the radio. Without them doing what they do, it would never get to the radio. And it wouldn't get to the world. And the people who have called and the people I have counseled that I never met before but heard me on the radio have called, can I get a counseling? I need to meet with the pastor. They would have never even known who I was or what I said if it wasn't for somebody who made the CD to bring to the radio station. And the same thing about the Internet and, and the ushers and the greeters and the Sunday school and every, every the singles, everybody doing their part is what keeps us rolling till we get to the other side. Amen? So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I praise You tonight that we are a body. You're a body and You're the head. And Lord, I praise You that, Lord, I pray everyone in here get a baptism of passion, of zeal. That there is a stirring on the inside of them like, yes, I can do this. I can do that. I can help deliver bread. I can type out the scriptures to put in the packets. I can, I can use my car to run people. I can do this. There's always so much we can do, Father. And you said, let us do, let's find something to do. At least we do nothing. And Lord, we don't want to be like that man who got a talent and he dug a hole and he hid it. And there was nothing to be rewarded for. But Father, I pray for passion in your people's heart tonight that we stand in the area of stewardship and we stand faithful to our callings. Stand faithful to what you've called us to do. And Lord, I praise you that, Father, the enlightening of our eyes to the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of revelation, that, Father, we can purposely go to that person in need or pray for that person in need and not be critical but be loving, compassionate, and caring. Carry their burdens. See those things fulfilled in their lives. And see them walk in areas of victory and fulfillment. I praise you for the work you're doing in your body. There's not one sick, needy, feeble among us. Because, Lord, your body is at work. Constantly working. Building each other up in love and in faith. I give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. 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 Hallelujah. We love you. We'll see you Sunday morning at 
Sunday school 9. We'll see you at regular service at 1030. Hug your neck. Tell somebody you love them. If you need prayer, we will be here to pray with you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.